The Ensemble Advice South Africa podcast is intended for professional financial advisors. All discussion is limited to publicly available information and should not be interpreted as legal, professional or financial advice. Hi, I'm Louis van der Merwe, Certified Financial Planner. Join me every week where I get to have discussions with global leaders in the financial planning space to help you serve your clients better and run a more efficient financial planning practice. This is the Ensemble Advice South Africa podcast. Portfolio Metrics is thrilled to bring you this podcast in support of our common passion for people and the evolution of wealth management. Our global business links precision investment management to expert financial advice through partnerships and technology. Portfolio Metrics is an authorized financial services provider. Comspace is a revenue management solution developed specifically for independent financial advisors. It is a web-based application that tracks, allocates, and manages advisor revenue. The system seamlessly reads commission statements from financial institutions and can address any permutation of commission splits. Comspace provides mind-blowing, out-the-box revenue business intelligence and analytics, along with super-flexible reporting to effectively manage and grow your business. Welcome to another episode of Ensemble Advice South Africa. Today I have with me in the studio Lisa Berry. Lisa is a certified financial planner at PWH Wealth Group and I think we're in, in for a treat around Lisa's journey. Lisa, thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks, Louie. Nice to be on your show. Where are you dialing in from? Uh, I don't see much sunshine there on your side, so I'm curious to hear where, where you are at the moment. I am currently in a little village outside west of London um, in Gerrard's Cross. I'm sitting in the UK at the moment, and we are probably having the same weather South Africa's having. So we're expecting sunshine on the weekend, and when a beautiful hot weekend just passed. So it's, but it's cold at the moment, as usual in, our, in England. It'll be lovely for us today in this conversation to unpack your journey and, you know, setting up a business in the UK, which you just mentioned to me has been going for for nine plus years. But before we get there, give us the, the snapshot of how you got into the financial services world. So I fell into it um, by mistake, um, as I think is quite a few people's story. So I worked for Norwich Life about 26 years ago. I don't know how many of your listeners will remember Norwich Life. Giving away your age now, Lisa. I'm giving away my age. And um, my father, I started doing a couple of odd jobs here in the a bit of accounting because I was studying accounting at the time. I was coaching netball and just out of, out of school, I was, studying, I was at varsity um, on the side. And my dad said I needed a real job. And he got me in touch with a guy who worked at Norwich Life and I became his PA. And I then started out in the corporate. I worked at Norwich. I worked at Momentum, Glacier. Uh, I think that's it. And then I got offered a job to start up the Joburg office of a uh, financial planning practice in Durban. So we took on that opportunity. I was absolutely petrified of it. And about a year after that, we actually decided to branch out on our own because we had a mismatch of you know, the, what I wanted to do versus what the Durban office was doing. So we just decided we very amicable, amicably split ways. And PWH was born in 2015. And then the UK office was born 2022. Lisa, I want to ask you about that move from a PA 
into a different role. Um, tell me how how was it working as a peer for someone that I'm assuming was more uh, insurance based or more sales based, and then moving into a different role? Like, how, how difficult was that? It was very difficult, but I actually I went through everything quite slowly. So at Norwich, I was a PA for one of the branches, branch managers. Then I, funny enough, went into advertising and sponsorship at Fedsure. Um, bizarrely enough, and then I became a broker consultant at Metropolitan, which and later then moved to Momentum as a marketing advisor or broker consultant, and stayed there for quite a while. So I did eventually go into the sales role, even though I was probably stronger on the technical side than any than selling anything. Because I still don't think I'm very good at selling anything. And that's a theme that comes up so often, where us as advisors are either allergic to the word sales or don't see ourselves as salespeople. Like, how do you position that within your current role where, you know, you're growing a business and you're ultimately providing a service, yet you don't want to come across salesy? So I think there's there's two aspects of that. So uh, I can't even tell you who it was, but someone said to me the one day, we are all salespeople because we sell ourselves. So every time you meet someone, you are effectively selling yourself because inevitably they'll ask you about yourself and you've got to have some kind of a story that you're going to tell them. So um, from that point of view, I think we are all salespeople, whether we like it or not, and regardless of what our role is. And then we believe that we provide a solution to clients. So they will come to us with a need or a problem. We will either be able to sell them a solution or we won't. Um, so from my point of view, we don't just take on any client who comes our way. We're very specific and picky about our clients because we want to be adding value. So I think if you, as an advisor, if you take on clients where you've gone to them and you've tried to sell them something, you are taking on a client that you don't have a joint passion or purpose together. And that for me is always important with our clients that they, they've got a need and we've got a solution to their problem. I love how you actually, it's, it's fairly simple, right? It's just there's something that they need help with. Is there a common theme between what people are struggling with at the moment or what they need? Or is it just very diverse and depends on each client? So in South Africa, in the South African practice, it's a lot of overall financial planning. So people, are very, especially since COVID, People are serious about getting their finances in order. People are scared, so they're looking for that protection factor. They're scared that they, if something happens to them, what will happen to their families. They're looking for those kind of strategies as well. And they are just really wanting to get their budgets and their lives in order and you know, start saving. And so whether it be retirement or for their family holidays, they, I think people just want to really get in touch with what they've got and what the, their money can do for them. In the UK, we're finding a lot more retirement clients. So we've got a couple of clients that want full financial plans, but the general theme in the UK has been people are very focused on retirement. And do the processes differ from someone in South Africa wanting full financial planning versus someone close to retirement in the UK? How diff- How would it differ? So our, our idea was originally to kind of take our essay process and copy and paste it, which we've tried to do. <laughs> I wouldn't say very successfully, um, but the concept is the same. It's, you know, we, we still do budgets. We still do the coaching. We still do exactly the same things with the client. It's just the documents, I think, or the, the compliance processes are slightly different. So in the UK here, for example, you've got to prove a fact find. So you've got to actually show them a fact finding document where you <laughs> literally gathered all the client's information. Where in South Africa, I think we don't do it well, we I do it very much in a, a organized fashion, but I don't think it's something that's a prerequisite from a compliance point of view. You've just got to prove that you know your client. 
Where here it's a very well here in in England it's a very big focus area for them. Do you find that you're bringing some of that back into the SA business and saying, hey, this is what the future of compliance might look like? Oh, we had this exact conversation the other day. So we're trying to say myself and my paraplan or my two IC, I'm not sure what someone's to call herself anymore. Um, we were having the, the conversation about what we're doing in the UK. We need to actually filter back into South Africa as well. So we've changed a lot of our compliance documents in South Africa to include the stuff that we're doing in the UK. So two reasons. Number one, I do absolutely believe that SA will follow suit on what the UK are doing. And secondly, it just makes us a universal global practice. So what you get on one side, you're going to get on the other because we want clients to have the same experience in both countries as they transition into the UK. They must feel comfortable because there's so much change that they're coming to in the UK already. We want them to have something that is consistent. I think that's a lovely point for us to talk about the the reason for setting up an office outside of the country. I know there were some personal elements to it, but uh, can you unpack some of that thinking and, and the process of setting up shop? Because I would imagine a lot of people listening to this have thought about it. They don't necessarily know where to start, not for them to also join you, um, but also to say, you know, is it really achievable for a South African financial planning business to you know, go global? So obviously COVID was kickstarted the um, the process where myself and one of our other directors just had a conversation about the amount of clients that started wanting or investigating into immigrating. And I am a lover of South Africa through and through. South Africa's in my blood. It's my favorite place in the world. We're coming, we just booked our tickets to come back home in July and I can't wait. I'm like chomping at the bit already. So it's like we're counting the days. And um, Ron, who is 73, who's the other director, he agreed that we should look to, to open up shop in the UK for clients to catch them on the side, to continue their financial planning from a global point of view. And I think because of online and, you know, you don't have to see people face to face anymore, that was a much easier task than if it had been pre-COVID or COVID had never had happened. So we, we decided we kind of committed to investigating it and I would look into it. And obviously, my biggest concern was my son. I've got a 30, well, he's now 13-year-old son and schooling and cost of schooling in the UK and all of those good things that made me gulp. And um, and I just started chatting to people about it and how we would do it. And um, in the whole process of it was, so there's a couple of aspects you've got to look at. So the first one is the studies because you've got to convert to UK. Um, so I've done the UK CFP conversion. You don't have to do that. You can just do their normal investment um, diploma and that's the tick box from an education point of view. Then you've got to get a license, which um, is completely and utterly a no-go in the UK. So the UK don't like one-man shows. They don't like small businesses. They very much would prefer everyone to be part of networks. So what we did was, and I actually did this after I got to the UK, not before I left, which I know sounds a bit silly, but we had made the decision to go and then my son went and got a bursary into Harrow. So it was like, well, that's a no-brainer. So we'll do that. And we then found a South African gentleman um, whose license we now sit on. So you sit as associated rep on someone's license here in the UK so we can eventually get onto our own license once, once we're big enough in the UK. But at the moment, we just sit as an associated rep on their license. Okay, so there's those two major 
challenges at setting up a license, and which sounds like you found a really good way of approaching that. Tell me a bit more about the conversion of your CFP designation around something that is valid in the UK. How difficult is that? Does that mean more exams? Do you have to redo the whole thing? Or what is it all about? Yes, you don't have to redo the whole thing. So the UK, um, they do, so CISI or CISI in the UK, that's the FBI here. They recognize the South African CFP, which was music to my ears. That was absolutely fabulous because the thought of rewriting exams just <laughs> scared me senseless. Um, so you do, you've got to write the AID, which is an investment advice diploma. I think that's what it stands for, which again is four subjects, but it's all UK based. So there's no case study or anything like they assume that you know how to give financial planning to a client. Um, it wasn't hard at all. I was really nervous about it. I thought, oh my gosh, I know nothing about the UK system. I knew about UK tax because I'd done a UK tax course. And yeah, and it's multiple choice. And yeah, you, I mean, in theory, if you've done your, your work on it, you'll cruise through it. So, and once that's done, the FBI send over all the documentation to say that you are in good standing with them and they issue your CFP here. So it's the, the thing that took the longest was to get FBI to send across the document. The the red tape of, of figuring that out. And I'm, I'm glad to hear that you're at a point where you know, that is now behind you. Lisa, yeah. what has been the part that was the most challenging for you that might have surprised you? You know, you mentioned that you did some tax training, but was there a piece of how clients receive financial planning in the UK or their expectations that maybe you weren't prepared for or didn't expect? So from what I've gathered in the UK and just from what I've spoken to, to people that I've spoken to is that there's still a lot of product selling here. So you've got a lot of good old-fashioned brokers here that go out and they'll sell a pension fund or a ISA, which is a tax-free savings account, to clients where they, there's not a huge group of people who do proper financial strategies or plans for clients. So I believe there's a big gap in the market um, for doing that with clients, which is quite exciting, obviously, for us. The biggest frustration that we've had is getting serviced. So... It's, it's like living in Cape Town here. Tomorrow's another day. Don't, don't worry. We'll get to it in three days' time. And obviously, being from Johannesburg, I'm like, chop, chop. I want it now. So that has been quite frustrating. And one would think, being a first-world country, that they would their service levels would be better. But they, I would say South African service levels are far better in the industry. So when you say they, are those the product providers that you would interact with on behalf of your clients? Yeah, and how difficult was that opening up contracts with those providers to be able to do business? Thank goodness we didn't have to do it because it's done through Global Wealth Map who do our license. So they got all those those licenses for us, all those contracts for us and those codes. Yeah, so the, you've got to understand the jargon that they use here and everything is, got, is, is shortened down to a couple of letters. And that for us, we kind of need to start building a dictionary to understand what everything is. So we, when we speak to providers, probably more some than me, you know, you've got to use certain language that we don't know what that language is. So it's like learning a whole different new language. And Lisa, I can imagine that you could feel similar to what a client could feel like, someone that doesn't necessarily have the background knowledge on, you know, or, or these acronyms or the jargon and it's like exclusive and now you need to understand, like, is that frustrating trying to navigate and figure out? It's very frustrating. 
it drives us absolutely mad. But it, it's exactly the same as what we deal with with clients. So we always try and you know, keep saying to our team, speak to the client like you're speaking to a 10-year-old. Clients do not understand our English. English. They don't understand what um, TFSA is. So you need to educate our clients on the financial language that we use in South Africa and the same way we now need to get educated on the financial language that providers and IFAs use in the UK here. Do you have a strategy for kind of increasing your knowledge or is it just accumulating as you go along and saying, okay, now we need to understand this and un- unpack? So a couple of things on that. So CISI, who the FBI is here, they've got fantastic um, videos and webinars online that you and they refreshers and you literally just go on and if I want to know about pension funds, I'll go on and I'll do an hour webinar and, and it, they, it, they're just great. So it keeps you learning. Um, they've got a lot of conferences and that here as well that you can attend, which is great. So they're very engaging with the with the, the IFAs here. So, but you know, knowledge is power. So we're busy trying to unpack the um, their system. There, so we would use Elite Wealth in South Africa. Here, they've got IntelliFlow. Sim and I are trying to understand how the system, the back end of the system works because nothing seems to link to anything else. They use the assets are loaded as plans, and I'm like, oh, that's not a plan. And the liabilities don't pull through to the client portal, and it's like literally, I promise you, it's just so frustrating. And they've also, so then you end up watching about 45 webinars to get the answer for one thing. So your South African clients and your UK clients, you're using different software providers to help them with their financial plans at yeah, the moment. Yeah, sadly so. It would be so much nicer if you could just use Elite Wealth for both. <laughs> Elite Wealth, if anyone from your team is listening, there might be an opportunity to create a UK model. There's a little punt for you as well. So I, I did speak to Rassi about it, and I think he is looking into it. And what has been the feedback from your clients? So someone that you've now, if I'm understanding you correctly, it's a client that maybe has an intention to relocate to the UK from South Africa. You can hold their hand through the process and create that kind of soft landing in a space where you know you understand them, you understand their goals. And you can seamlessly implement it. I would imagine that clients would be raving about that. Well, I hope so. So we've had some really good feedback, and you know, we've had clients who left South Africa a couple of years ago that we weren't really dealing with. And when we kind of put it out that we'd now opened up the UK office, they've come back to us. And you know, I think people here, or South Africans here, like to speak South African, and that I think is the biggest benefit because as we're learning what the UK jargon is you know we're able to interpret that for clients so and i think specifically on the tax side so there's big issues about south africans who live in the uk who don't understand the tax tax risk they've got back in south africa and the risk that they hold here because one just thinks well i'm not in south africa anymore so i don't have to be part of the tax process or system anymore which sadly is not true so we have a lot of conversations about the tax side of it um, and the, and there are opportunities here for for um, clients to to use the UK tax system to their benefit when they first arrive in the UK. So that's what we try and get clients to set up. But you know, for SARS wants three years of balance sheet. <laughs> I mean, I'm trying to do my own at the moment, and every time I even look at it, I go, oh, I can't do this. <laughs> so it is very yeah. It's it's quite a quite a process to move a client from South Africa to the UK, but. We do get there, and I, and I would imagine they appreciate the hand-holding and us sharing our experiences with them through the process. 
I can just hear how your own experience has shaped the way you see clients to say, hey, I share these frustrations. I'm going through it. I've learned from it. Um, is that something you communicate to clients? Oh, absolutely. So we, you know, clients come on as a partnership. They they come into the PWH family. So we're human beings. So as much as they're human beings, I'm also a human being and I can share their frustrations and hopefully provide insights or solutions to some of the problems that they might be having because I am at the benefit or I have the benefit of being in the financial industry. So I shouldn't be able to navigate it a lot easier than someone who's coming in here blind because it is overwhelming moving to a new country, especially at my age. And a lot of clients in their 40s and 50s are starting to move across as well. So I think that it is, it's, yeah, it's, it's scary and it's hard. And, you know, there's crazy things like converting your driver's license and having to trust a postal system that are quite <laughs> overwhelming. Are those kind of things that you guys get involved with in terms of, you know, helping someone sort out their driver's license or as part of the discussions or where would that fit in? Yeah, not really, but I'm I'm very happy to share my experience with it. And I think that, you know, with South Africa with the post system, you'd never put your passport in the post in South Africa. It just would never happen. Where here, when you convert your driver's license, you've got to give them your visa card. You've got to actually post it to them. And for me, I, I think it took me about three weeks to do it because I'm like, I just can't. I'm never going to get it back. Funny story, I never did get mine back. Mine did actually get lost in the Royal Mail. So I had to go to apply for a new one. But that was part of the You process. must have said, I told you. <laughs> you see. But that's not normal. It's, I was obviously so paranoid that I, I just pulled in that negative energy into my life and it happened. But um, mm, you know, we, I try and help people, like setting up bank accounts your driver's license, what council taxes. So like, how do you reduce your council tax? You know, those kind of, all these hard lessons that I've learned over the last 14 months, I'm very happy to share with my clients. And I do go through, when we do clients' budgets and go line item for line item, um, we look at where we can obviously save or if there's a better way to do something. So I definitely do share that knowledge with clients because we do obviously always want to um, pay less on utilities and those the cost of living and save more, spend more on things that we love. Elisa, it sounds very involved compared to what we would normally do with South African clients. How have you changed your pricing model to reflect the work that you're doing? So we've done quite a bit of research here in the UK as to what advisors are charging. And we've gone kind of just below the average of it um, on how, how people in the UK will charge. And that pricing structure, so we've we charge a professional fee for our clients, and that's where we've gone just below the, the average, which we will over time get up to the average or be above the a- average. But for now, we've done that. And then from a asset under management or a sliding scale fee, we've just gone with the normal fee here. So, And that's exactly the same as South Africa. So our sliding scale fees are the same as South Africa. Okay, so for someone moving between countries, they're not going to pay a different percentage. And was it quite easy to get these figures of what the average advisor would charge as a upfront fee um, in pounds or you know those sliding yeah, scales? It was. I mean, there's there's so much information on Google, and then I've chatted to people I know in the UK and what they charge, what they feel is fair, how they do it. So South Africans, financial advisors who are already here, so there's a couple of ex-South Africans that are here working as financial advisors 
Um, they, I've got good relationships with them, chat to them often, and we've got like our little South African group going on, and we just share stories, we share motivations, we share tears, I suppose, as well at times. It's wonderful how we just can motivate each other in this profession. And I'm curious around the staffing side of it. How are you managing your office there? Is it still South African staff? Are you looking to employ people in the UK? Because that obviously brings another set of complexity. So I can't stomach HR rules in the UK at the moment or labor rules. (laughs) My brain just can't expand that far at the moment. What we've decided to do is to run the whole of the global group from South Africa. So admin, power planning, everything sits in South Africa and um, only IFAs will sit in the UK. So if one of our paraplaner decides that they want to live in the UK, then they can come live in the UK and work from here. But they'll still be under a South African contract. Okay. And did that mean you have to upskill them in terms of the planning for UK tax legislation and products? And So we've already started doing that. So our, my current paraplaner, Sim, She's, funny enough, doing a CFP a board exam next week, and then she'll start the UK CFP stuff. Wow. So hopefully by the time you're listening to this, uh, you have passed successfully. Hopefully. That, that is quite an attractive situation for, for someone learning these skills to say, well, actually, I, I don't have to only deal with South Africa. I can now think about different countries. What, what would you say to young advisors that are thinking about exploring other jurisdictions? Well, I think you've, you've got to go. So the easiest ones would be England or Australia because South African compliance is based off those two countries. So that for me would be the obvious one, both of them. And I think you've got to be multi-knowledgeable if you want to go global one day. So if a young advisor wants to start up in South Africa in five years' time, they decide, oh, I actually want to go work in the UK. You, they would need to have the the, the knowledge of the UK. And you, there's loads of stuff that you can do before you come to the UK that to get certified or to get educated in how things work in the UK. So, and definitely getting both CFPs is, is worthwhile in my mind. I'm not sure how, how Australia work. We haven't even looked at that and don't really plan to. <laughs> you sound like you're up to to move again and and go through this, uh, this whole process again. Um, it sounds like it... Has it been more difficult than what you expected, just given all these challenges? I think it's been easier than I expected, funny enough. And I did, I went in very much with a open mind to learn. And so, you know, there's those three levels of you know what you know, you don't know what you don't, you don't know what you know, and you don't know what you don't know. So I literally went in with everything I don't know what I don't know. And now I'm here and I took the first year just literally exploring, picking people's minds, brains, making connections, trying to build a bit of a network and asking what I felt like really stupid questions. But I was, I don't know. So I've kind of got to ask these stupid questions <laughs> and that's really worked. But I think that it, if you have an expectation on certain timelines, you're going to fail because they work, even though we all speak English First of all, they speak a different type of English to us in the UK here. And it's a very different culture as well. So depending on whether you live in London or out in the country where I do, it's a very, very different culture. So it's you've got to understand it and fit in with it. And my biggest challenge or, and target was to make English friends, people who were born and bred in the UK, not just hang around with South Africans. 
um, and try to understand how the culture works here. So there, there have been challenges and there have been days where I've just, you know, sat down and gone, what have I done? <laughs> As you do. But I think, it, yeah, if you go in with an open mind and just go, I'm just going to take, roll with the punches, take it as it comes, um, cry the tears when I'm frustrated, enjoy the wins, celebrate the wins, um, then it's it's fine. So you can't, you can't be rigid, I think, is the, is the answer. You've got to just be able to be fluid. And we spoke to about three or four different companies for a license before we found Global Wealth Map. And none of them felt right. Something, and I didn't, again, I didn't know what I didn't know. So I didn't even know what questions I should be asking them. So I just followed my gut on it. If it didn't make sense, they were out. <laughs> so seems to have served you well. Tell me a bit about how you're servicing your South African clients and how that, how you've had to adapt that. So I'm in South Africa twice a year, probably for about two and a half, three months over the years. So as I said, we're heading out there now, end of July with the summer here. And um, everything's online. So I don't, I don't think some of my clients have even registered that I don't live in South Africa anymore. Or I'll get a note going, where in the world are you? <laughs> Can we chat? So my funniest experience was when a client, one client asked me if my email and WhatsApp was going to stay the same and could they still contact me or do they need a landline? And I was like, no, <laughs> you won't even know that I'm not there. <laughs> That that's what a wonderful time eh? to be able to do this and do the the transition transition into a new country. Uh, I'm curious how this has impacted your view from a South African perspective on global investments. So we talk about our clients about diversifying and not having a home bias, but now actually wearing a different hat, someone sitting in a different country. How has that impacted how you see South Africa and just the politics? Because we see a lot of negativity in clients at the moment. And I'm wondering how that is for someone sitting outside of the country, if it if it feels any different compared to when you were physically in South Africa. So first of all, I think when you speak to anyone in the UK here, no one cares about South Africa. They also from a from a financial point of view. So I know and it seems so big when you're in South Africa. When I speak to South African clients, it seems so big there. But once you start unpacking it, so we won't look at British American tobacco are in South Africa, we don't look at it as a South African company. We're South African, you've got to look at it as a South African company. We look at it from a global point of view. And and that's a bit of a mind shift. So, I mean, in theory, in South Africa, you should do that, but you always do have that home bias and look at what's happening in South Africa. So, you know, how's BAT going to produce and perform in South Africa? Well, they don't. They produce and perform from a global point of view. So everything, when we have conversations now, very Hardly ever do we talk about British companies. We talk global. Everything is global. So we just happen to live in the hub, the financial hub in the world. That's how the Brits see themselves, which is great for them. And we have access to everything. So it's not it's not a home bias here at all where I think South Africans, and it's a lot to do with legislation, obviously, they have to invest locally and look at local shares where here you can invest wherever you like. So it's it makes it, it just yeah it makes it easier and it's just a different mindset I suppose. I guess that could also bring new challenges because now you have to have a sense of you know what is the health of the world and how what are these outlooks compared to just you know one country for us to focus on a little bit easier. Absolutely. So I, I think that's always been something that I've been interested in. So economics is one of my favorite subjects. So I'm always interested in like I'm one of those people who goes and looks at stats global stats. <laughs> I find that quite fun. So I've always really done that. And you do have to look at the health of, of the world. 
and see where there is opportunity. But we use portfolio metrics to do that for us. So we have utter faith in them. And that will generally be conversations we would be having with them and why they're looking at the different areas or the different ge- uh, geographic regions. Thank you, Lisa, for that. PMX is a sponsor of the show. And so I'm sure this was not planned, but I'm sure they'll be happy to. In the UK as well. And that's been one one good copy and paste is just literally going using them as in our solutions in South Africa and moved to the UK. Wasn't even an option. Didn't look anywhere else. We literally just signed up with the, the PMX um, office. And they've been fantastic. They really have been great. It's wonderful to hear how that move was smooth, but yet it sounds like the tax component caused the biggest headache. What about estate planning? How different is that in the UK compared to South Africa? To get a will done in the UK is three hundred pounds. Now I can't stomach that. I really, I just, I can't. For love of money, I cannot wrap my head around that, and I really am struggling with that. How do you tell a client they've got to pay three hundred pounds for a will? But be working on that. I'll, I'll find a solution to that. I don't know what it is. But again, it's one of those things I don't know what I don't know. So I need to go and dig and dig and dig and find the answer to that. But the stage planning here is very different because you've got gifting. So you can gift assets away. And they don't charge CGT on death. So the calculation is really easy because it's just the IHT. It's, but I think it's easier to do a state planning here than it is to do it in South Africa. Okay, so if anyone's listening to this and you have a solution for a UK-based will, please reach out to me or Lisa um, around that because I'm, I'm guessing that £300 would be a barrister or solicitor helping you draft something. Would that be a consultation with a client and some estate planning or literally just here's your standard will? It's, so it will be it will be a consultation with the client because they do have a – well, it's a questionnaire, so I'm not sure how many of – how much they engage with the client or ask the client questions. I mean, a will is a will in my mind. I mean, I don't know if I'm missing something, but in my mind, a will is a will. And so that's, yeah, so there's no estate planning in that. And this is by will specialist. You get companies here that are, they do, they will specialists. I'm assuming they would take the role and do the probate and all of that stuff as well. Um, lucky we haven't had anyone pass away yet. So I, I haven't got experience in that just yet. But it is an area that we are, investigating and to just try and understand how the process works here versus South Africa. But the planning side is quite easy because you just want to make sure someone dies broke and they can so you can just gift your assets away. If there's anything that you could bring back from the UK and apply to, to the South African financial services market, not legislation related, what would that be? I actually, I don't know. I, I'm of the opinion that South Africa is far more advanced than we think we are. And I think in the UK, things move slowly. So I think the UK could actually learn a lot from South Africa. Andy and your team listening from Humans Under Management, next time we'll do a presentation to your UK audience around how to speed things up and make it a bit more efficient. Is is that because we just have the ability to figure things out and improve things as, as a nation? Or what, what do you think is inherent behind that? So, I th- I th- so my kind of thought process on it and this might be I mean you could probably have four arguments on it but I think in South Africa because you value your job more you need to be more efficient where in the UK at sitting at two or three percent unemployment rate they go to work from nine to five they do their job they go home there's no need to be better 
So you'll obviously have the the breadth that all the people who work in the UK who want to excel and move up the ranks and get promotions and that. But you know, mediocrity just seems to be acceptable here, and it's it's what it is. Where I think in South Africa, you value your job, you've got a job, you love your job, you value it. You don't want to lose it because you know you've got such a small chance of finding another job that um, you get pushed. And it's it's the South African work ethic is in my mind. Um, far superior than probably most countries. We've just we've got to just get the job done attitude and a bull marker plan. Um, you know, throw all of those the South African chutzpah, throw all of that out there, and that's a South African person who works there. I get quite excited when I meet a South African because I know I'm going to get stuff done. So, and not to say that we don't have that with. I mean, we've got some wonderful um, Brits that we work with that really are very very efficient, um, but we just are. Dealing with service providers has been rather, <laughs> rather disappointing. So, and e- and even on the software side, when we phone the support center, it's just, you know, some has to phone them. I can't phone them because I just want to climb down that phone and slap them. So it's just better that some does it. It's wonderful to hear that sometimes we think, oh, everything's going to run smoothly when we move to another country, and it's just going to be perfect. That yes, there's still there's still challenges, right? You just have to pick which challenges you're comfortable. Tackling. Yeah. No, but that's exactly it. And I often get asked, you know, which where's better? And there's no better. They're just different. So I love driving here. I could drive across the whole country. Very happy. I hate driving in Joburg. Can't stand it. I've, the drivers are very, very aggressive. Where yeah, everyone sticks to the speed limit. Everyone sticks to the rules of the road, and it works. So it's an absolute pleasure. You seldom see accidents around. Yeah, and we do quite a bit of traveling because we like to explore. Can't stand the weather here. I miss the Joburg people. I love Joburg people. London, England is very pretty as well. So the areas we've gone through to, I love Wales. I think it's absolutely beautiful. Cape Town's just as beautiful. So it's it's just different. So I think I'm very lucky to have the hybrid lifestyle where I get to experience both as and call both my home. So that for me is is nice. Lisa, I think that's a wonderful place for us to end our conversation i want to thank you for sharing so openly the challenges and also the wins for building a business in a in a foreign country um for someone listening to this thinking about it i hope this might motivate them or say oh wow i really underestimated what it might take is there any passing thoughts that you want to leave with people listening or a place where they might be able to connect with you if they want to reach out for more questions so they yeah, they're welcome to email email me on Lisa at PWHWG.com. I'm sure you can post the email address somewhere. That's absolutely fine. And I and I think that if you have a love for financial planning and it is really your purpose, you'll be able to do it anywhere in the world because the concept is the same. As long as you're putting your client first, delivering a professional, um, well thought out strategy for them, you can't go wrong. So and don't sell. Wonderful. We've come full circle. <laughs> what an end of that. <laughs> Thank you so much for your time, Lisa. Thanks a lot. We'll check in again in a year to year all the new wins from the, the UK office. <laughs> <laughs>